0: In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer Help us start something special.
1: I was so cognizant about finding the joy in the creative process. I, while I was writing it, I I had my mantra, I think, you know, as I sat down every day to write, it was like, find the joy, find the joy in the process. And I think I became so good at finding the joy that now that the whole thing is over, I'm like <laughs> joyless. <laughs> oh, but I mean, I, not to be a downer, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm so thrilled that, that it's out in the world now. And I, I do feel really uh, happy today, but, um, but it, I think it's like such a mix of emotions, especially when you put your whole heart into something. It, it, it can only be kind of a complicated feeling.
0: Welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Award-winning journalist and acclaimed author, Brandon Presser, spoke to me about his credo as a globetrotter, the Instagramification of travel, and his latest nonfiction novel, The Far Land. Brandon has a degree in art history and architecture from Harvard, has worked in Paris at the Louvre, in Tokyo as an architectural apprentice, and in Thailand as a scuba diving professional. He's also traveled to 130 countries, written over 50 travel books, and was awarded a Society of American Travel Writers Award for his achievements in guidebook writing. Brandon's latest is The Far Land, 200 Years of Murder, Mania, and Mutiny in the South Pacific has been described as a thrilling true tale of power, obsession, and betrayal at the edge of the world. Oscar-winning actor Tom Hanks said of the book, Brandon Presser's fascinating narrative of the relentless consequences of the bounty mutineers asks, were they brave or damned? You can't make this stuff up. Brandon currently contributes to Bloomberg Businessweek and Condé Nast Traveler, and was a host on Bravo TV series tour group, where he led a group of eclectic travelers around the world. In this file, Brandon and I discussed how the mutiny on the bounty became the most notorious maritime event in history, why travel journalists are like prostitutes, how to get a blurb from Tom Hanks, his mixed emotions about publication day, having dinner on Marlon Brando's island, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of the Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published. And drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. And we are back on The Writer Files. I I am very honored today to be joined by award-winning travel journalist and acclaimed author, Brandon Presser, is joining us. Thank you so much for taking the time to
1: do this today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to wrap with you about all things writing and uh, this fantastic journey of yours to the latest book, The Far Land, which you were just talking a little bit about in the green room. And I want to dig into that, but I also want to Go uh, turn the clock back, do your uh, superhero story, and yeah, just tell us. I mean, because this is a pretty fascinating bio you have. Uh, but, but, you know, from working at the Louvre to being an architectural apprentice in Tokyo, you have a degree in art history and architecture from Harvard. I mean, take us back a little bit and and how you became a lauded travel journo and, and globetrotting uh, author.
1: Well... I mean, i I don't think I had, I, I don't think I had like an aha moment. I I was always that kid um, when I was little who would much rather look through an atlas than read a book. Um, I was also that ADD kid that you know was had a wandering mind. You know, was thinking about all sorts of different things and never the thing that was right in front of me. And um, I guess I fell into travel writing because you know, it obviously gave me the opportunity to see the world, something that I really wanted to do. You know, I didn't have a ton of opportunity to do that when I was little. Um, and then also it was the kind of thing where I could kind of flex that ADD muscle where I could focus intensely on something for a short period of time, give it my all, do a deep dive and then forget it and move on to the next thing. Mm. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's worked out really well.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems like it has absolutely because, you know, you've, been to what over 130 countries written um dozens and dozens of travel guides and books and um are now contributing to publications such as bloomberg business week and condé nast um and even done a tv show with bravo talk a little bit about kind of um what that experience was like
1: yeah absolutely um i mean i think for me uh, first and for- foremost, I was thinking of myself as a traveler and I was trying to find like every different way that I could get to travel. Um, and then when I started writing about travel, I wanted to find even bigger platforms to share the joy of travel and the joy of discover- discovery, with other people. Um, and then, so I found my way onto, um, onto Bravo hosting a show that was essentially like real housewives meets <laughs> National Geographic. It was wow. like Real Housewives in the Wild, and I was their tour guide. Um, and so I took about a dozen Americans who did not have a lot of travel experience all over the world, and it was fun showing them all these different places, and you get to watch as they you know, tried new food, met new people, saw new sites, and, and really got out of their comfort zone. Um, of course, it had that like Bravo kind of spice to it, which doesn't really mesh with like my own credo but um but it was fun
0: <laughs> um yeah we'll talk a little about your your credo um and then we'll dovetail into uh the book
1: um <laughs> i mean i think for me um you know it's been interesting to see uh, over the years especially in the pandemic that there's there's been this sort of commodification of travel travel is like this thing to consume And there's sort of this like performative aspect of travel now, especially with social media, where it's like, watch me travel, watch me, you know, on Instagram travel, watch me consume this destination, like as though it were a new piece of clothing. For me, it's, it's, it's really been the opposite. Um, It's really been about trying to understand um, how other people live and, and, and what day is like for someone on, you know, the far side of the world. Um, that's, that's really always what's motivated me is, is that connectivity that somehow we're all so extremely alike in all of our differences.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, that, um, I think does fit nicely. Your credo fits nicely with the far land, 200 years of murder, mania and mutiny in the South Pacific, an absolutely fascinating read that I'm enjoying very much. And we're, that we're calling a nonfiction novel, right?
1: Yeah, that, that was the goal um, from the jump was um, that I wanted to create something that would be consumed like a novel, like a, like a thriller and a mystery, but like it was this fun extra little tidbit that everything that you were reading was fastidiously researched and absolutely true.
0: Yeah, it, it is a fascinating, fascinating story and really a deep dive into something that remained a mystery for quite some time. Uh, So, I mean, as you put it, it's like equal parts historical uh, deep dive and then equal parts um, kind of a fictional reconstruction of, you know, this uh, very interesting, um, uh, far-flung little community that, that only... Existed because of the origins of this famous mutiny, right?
1: Yeah. So, um you know, the mutiny on the Bounty, you know, about 200 years ago was really the most famous nautical event. And, you know, there's been times since where it's been embraced and cherished and exploited. And there have been times when it's forgotten. And I think we're kind of in one of those, that in the ebb and flow, we're kind of in the ebb of it right now. And hopefully we're coming back into a flow, but basically all these people uh, disappeared with the bounty after throwing their captain overboard. And um, what my book sort of sets out to do is explain what happened for the 20 years, where their whereabouts were a complete mystery. Um, And then there's this second timeline that happens today. um, And it's the descendants of those mutineers and what they're up to today, living completely disconnected from the rest of the world and kind of goes back and forth and zippers the two timelines together. You know, there was a a moment when I was thinking about this where, you know, you can do a really compelling book with just the history, and then you can do another book with just the timeline today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, you know, bringing them together really actually amplifies the respective timelines and the the seesawing of the timelines. You see Mm. all these bizarre parallels and how the history impacts today. Um, very closely.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction, And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a Writer's Happy Hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to Patreon.com slash The for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, Writer's Happy Hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join, to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's Patreon.com slash The Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, really um, unique way to tell the the story. And then of course, the story within the story is um, equally fascinating. So it's kind of meta in that respect, as you put it, you kind of see the, you know, you kind of see the spiral of time there, the way that you've constructed it. But um, yeah, talk about just, you know, putting it together as an author, as a writer, you obviously, you know, you, you tap into your level of travel to explore this, this mystery. Um, you get a, you get an email, um, asking you to, uh, kind of go to the end of the end of the world as you put it. Um, and yeah, I, I guess at that point where you like, and I, I know, cause you kind of discuss it in the book a little bit, like you're thinking. This is a lot. This has got to be a loss leader for me, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, um, you know, I, I, I work freelance for for a variety of magazines, and basically, what that entails is you know people come to me and they're like, "Hey, I have this really cool destination that I work with, and we'd love to have you check it out and write a story." Or, you know, sometimes it comes from my editor, like, "Hey, you know, we're interested in doing a feature on this place, and we'd like to send you." Um, And this, um, this was the former where basically um, this island, Pitcairn Island um, was interested in dabbling in tourism. And they hired a destination consultant who had previously sent me to Papua New Guinea. Um, And usually these types of destination consultants like to control the narrative. So, you know, they send you with a guide or, Hmm. you know, and she took the chance and sent me to Papua New Guinea on my own, um, where I did a variety of things, including living with an indigenous community, you know, no electricity, no running water. And so when this opportunity came across her desk, um, she wanted to find a North American journalist. Um, she, was, she knew just the guy. And mm-hmm. uh, she knew I would take the bait, um, <laughs> even though, you know, no glossy travel magazine wants to write a story about a place that you can't get to and that doesn't have <laughs> hotels and, you know, doesn't have a restaurant. Um, but she, she knew I would do it anyway. Um, and genuinely, I did not think I was going to write a book. Um, I, uh, had a commission from travel and leisure magazine to write a story about it. Um, just about what it's like, you know, this community on the edge of the world. Um, and when I got back, I was chatting with friends, um, and my agent and everyone was like, this is a book you know, the the tertiary characters in, in, in all of this could have their own book. And, and that's when I knew I needed to write something that was much, much more than just a magazine article. And originally I actually conceived of the book as a comedy of errors, um, Hmm. like what it's like to travel and, you know, the age of Instagram with, you know, bikini bodies on a beach, but going to an Island that is certainly not paradise. And I I sent a proposal to my agent and he was like, (laughs) Brandon, no. (laughs) This is not a comedy. (laughs) So I retooled uh, the whole thing and and, and kind of wrote it gothic. And uh, and here we are.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's pretty fascinating stuff. How does one get a blurb from Tom Hanks?
1: That's a good question. Um, (laughs) In the... um, it was kind of strange, and, and this is going to be like a long lead up to, to the answer. Uh, but it's it's sort of strange because in magazine writing, especially print, um, you always get a lot of edits. Um, you know, it's you have like five or six editors that are looking at a two thousand word article, and you know, there's a discussion over you know minutia, a certain word or a this and a that, and like now we need to leave room for a bigger photo, so we need to cut twenty three words from the story, and you know that is largely the the discourse leading up to, um, printing a, a magazine article. But, um, with the book I sent in my, you know, a hundred thousand words and my editor basically was like, no notes. Wow. <laughs> uh, and, it, it, there's a, there's an episode of new girl, um, where one of the characters is writing a book and he gives it to his best friend and his best friend just says, uh, no notes, and uh, it's sort of the same thing that happened here. And uh, <laughs> I was, I was, I was kind of shocked. I mean, I also was excited because I was pretty done with the writing. Um, but in its rough draft form, my agent um, sent it to Tom Hanks's um, production company uh, hmm. because I think this really lends itself to um, like a movie or a miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the characters are just so flawed and fascinating and and the backdrop is 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 just so vivid and and surreal and uh so he had a he had a look at it and then i suddenly i heard from him that he had devoured the whole thing uh, last summer while he was on holiday with his wife Uh, he, he printed it out on you know a4 paper and uh you know was reading it to her over breakfast and he just absolutely loved it and he offered to endorse it so here we are
0: amazing amazing yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I my, my mind obviously immediately went to Castaway, and I was thinking, um, yeah, I mean, this would be a great uh, Tom Hanks uh, vehicle. But um, yeah, d- has it been uh, optioned or
1: uh, still in discussion? Um, ah. but I am crossing my fingers um, because uh, you know. Th- The first, you know, 20 or so people that have read the book, some in the advanced copies have all come back to me saying, I got to see this as a, as like a HBO miniseries. Like I got it, you know, it's, it's like a real life survivor when you start really getting into the thick of it in the, in the last hundred pages of the book, like the, when everyone's on the Island and especially in the historical timeline, there is active Alliance plotting (laughs) you know they take each other down one by one you know except you know instead of voting each other off the island they're you know murdering each other with hatchets
0: (laughs) well yeah it is a fantastic read of course uh i will link to your home base there brandonpressor.com will link to the book you're on all the socials told through the vivid historical and personal narrative farland goes beyond the infamous mutiny on the bounty Offering an unprecedented glimpse at life on the fringes of civilization and how perhaps it's not so different from our own. Kind of uh, circling back to your to your credo there, um, but yeah, uh, congrats on all the great press and reviews. Um, how are you feeling right now, going into kind of the uh, the promotional piece of your of your journey here?
1: Um, well, you're catching me on the day that the book drops that the book yeah. has been published. And I have to say it's like a little bit melancholy in a way. Mm. Um I think it's something that I've been working towards for such a long time. And there have been so many rewarding, busy stages uh of the book. And I I, I thrive when my calendar is full and when I feel like I can't manage everything I need to do in a day. And so to have like a little bit of quiet, you know, as the, as the book comes out, you know, obviously it's really fun chatting with, you know, people about the book and and reading all the reviews that have been coming in, which thankfully have been extremely positive. Um, there is something strange about it, you know, Hmm. being out in the world now, um, trying to think about, you know, what's the next project going to be? That's certainly a question that I've been getting a lot. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that it's out there because I'm really excited for everyone, uh, to read this. Yeah. But there is sort of a little element of melancholy, which is kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard that often. Um, you know, because it's like birth of your baby, but yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense because you've worked so hard to get to the, you know, to, to get that, uh, boulder to the top of the mountain, I guess, and it rolls back down.
1: I think, I think I was really good. I mean, I don't know if it's like, I think it's rolling down the other side. And I think okay. it's certainly gathering momentum. I don't yeah. think it's like rolling back and crushing me or anything <laughs> okay, like that. But I think like I was so cognizant about finding the joy in the creative process. I, While I was writing it, I, hmm. I had my mantra, I think, you know, as I sat down every day to write it was like, find the joy. Mm. find the joy in the process. And I think I became so good at finding the joy that now that the whole thing is over, I'm like (laughs) joyless. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but I mean, I, I, not to be a downer. I'm, I'm I'm honestly, I'm so thrilled um, that, that it's out in the world now. And I, I do feel really uh, happy today, but, um, but it, I think it's like such a mix of emotions, especially when you put your whole heart into something. It, it, it can only be kind of a complicated feeling.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Talk talk a little bit about your process as a travel journalist and as somebody who works on deadlines. Talk about the difference between, you know, working on a on a travel piece under the gun versus um, working on a much larger piece, um, yeah, and kind of your experiences with—I don't know—did you ha- did you have to shift mindsets? Was it, or were you were these kind of practices, these daily practices, kind of already ingrained for you?
1: Um, well, the funny thing about the timeline of this book is that um, it was bought on spec in the fall of. 2019, um, basically with the idea that I would start writing in March of 2020, not knowing of course, that there was going to be a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I, in my mind, I was like, you know, I'm going to go to back to French Polynesia, not to Piccaron because I wanted that experience to live as a memory. Um, I didn't want to tarnish that memory, but I was going to go back to Tahiti and I was going to write from there and use my surroundings to inspire me of course that didn't happen. Um, so I was locked away in my apartment in New York city, writing a lot (laughs) of it there. Um, and, um, that was really tricky because I felt like the future of my travel writing career was feeling really uncertain. Mm -hmm. Um, and to, you know, get the worry out of my head and to really be able to focus was sort of a Herculean task. Um, and then having a clean slate and not having editors call me to report stories ended up being this blessing because I could eventually really focus, um, on the book, um, and really not have to look at my email. And I found that, um, I found comfort in extreme structure. Like I developed a structure uh, every day that I adhered to, where I'd wake up early, um, you know, six a.m., and I'd read and uh, drink coffee, and it was like gassing up the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, I read all sorts of different things, um, books, and uh, and then at about seven thirty, I would sit down to write, and I would write until lunchtime, and I'd go on a run, and then I'd eat lunch, and then I was done for the day. Um, and hmm. I'd spend the rest of the day doing something else of um, not writing. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I just repeated that over and over and over. And that was sort of a surprise to me because when I do uh, my um, travel writing for magazines and, you know, I spent um, the greater part of a decade writing guidebooks for lonely planet, you know, sort of in the glory days of analog travel. Yeah. Um, when I was writing those, I, the deadlines that they you were expected to meet were completely ridiculous um, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: and I found myself writing in the middle of the night so going into writing this book I was like oh I'm gonna be writing in the middle of the night like I always am um, but um, I actually found I was so much more effective doing all of my writing in the morning and and really adhering to that structure you know some days you would get 2,000 words some days you would get 20 um, but I was at the desk you know uh, it was like up reading desk, run, lunch, forgiveness, (laughs) um, (laughs) every day. And, uh, I did it kind of in two big spurts, like three months. And then I took three months off and then I finished the book in three more months. Um, and that's kind of, uh, that's kind of how it went. Um, I found it hugely gratifying. I, I really loved it. I really loved, um, writing the book because I had all this creative freedom that I usually don't have when I'm writing a magazine article. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the magazine articles have a very specific brief and you're fulfilling the brief um, and you're trying to give, you know, a certain style, the style that the magazine expects, you know, you're a writing prostitute and you're, you know, delivering <laughs> to your John uh, with the book. Like I, I had so much more freedom in the, and the freedom can be daunting, right? Like, I think there's a lot of safety in writing if you're writing yourself out of a box um, and being able to write essentially whatever you want can be uh, a little bit scary. Um, but I had I'd created a very sort of methodical approach to how I wanted to lay the book out. There's so much to get through in the book. And so I had to figure out how to space it out and how to seesaw between the two timelines. So I had like a 12,000 word document that was a chapter by chapter kind of like pacing so that, you know, at the end of the book, basically the last five chapters is this like repeated full circling of all the motifs that were introduced early on in the book. And there's a mystery mm-hmm. at the beginning of the book that's resolved at the end. And mm-hmm. there's this turning of the world that you see sort of happening. And because I was so methodical and trying to execute that, I had the skeleton laid out. So I, I did find that joy in kind of fleshing out the scenes day after day.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. As you say, finding the joy each day and uh, the forgiveness piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it really shows in the work and, and congratulations. Um, it is a beautiful book, uh, gorgeous cover. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, yeah, I want, you know, and I was going to go back to the Lonely Planet piece because, um, you know, uh, as we, as we had discussed earlier in the green room, uh, we're both, uh, acquainted with one Adam Skolnick. Do you have, do you have a funny, uh, Adam Skolnick story?
1: Um, he always brought, we used to have these author conferences, um, way back in the day where, um, Tony and Marine Wheeler, the founders of Lonely Planet would invite, um, their 20 or 30 favorite authors uh, to Melbourne and Australia where they lived. And we'd all kind of gather around and talk about the year, talk about new trends, talk about researching techniques. And he always brought um, like a lightness uh, hmm. to the conversations that I always really appreciated and, and gravitated towards. I think he's, he, I, I think in finding that joy, like he, he applies that, I think, to everything. Even you know beyond writing, and I think that's really admirable, and it's something that I strive to do too. So um, I always really look forward to spending time with him.
0: That's very cool. And listeners who might not know, Adam Adam Skolnick has been a uh, intrepid uh, uh, co-host on this show um, since its inception. So he's been doing he's been making cameos here for like six years now, um, and now he is you know he's he's had a quite a quite a great career, but he's, he's now, uh, co-hosting Adam Skolnik is now co-hosting the Rich Roll podcast, which is pretty cool. A couple times a month. And then, uh, yeah, that's cool. It's a cool story, but, um, yeah. And Adam and I have known each other for decades and decades. Uh, he does have that, th- that incredible likeness that you speak of. Yeah. So we'll have him back, uh, soon, but, um, Brandon, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Before we wrap up with your um, advice to your fellow scribes, we'll do a fun one. If you could have dinner with any author from any era uh, to your favorite spot in the world, who would you take and where would you take them?
1: Oh, good question. Um, You know, I would pick James Norman Hall, who was one of the writers of the Mutiny on the Bounty, back in the 1930s. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. He was incredible. His, his biography is absolutely incredible. He was born in Iowa. Um, he studied uh, at Harvard uh, like I did. Um, so I feel a bit of a kinship there. And then during the First World War, he... Uh, was in the Air Brigade, shot down behind German lines, uh, afterwards kind of said F the world and moved to Tahiti, wrote Mutiny <laughs> on the Bounty, which is a fictitious account of the true event, I should say. And uh, and I think he's just an absolutely incredible writer. And I would love to just sit across from him from dinner and pick his brain. And I'm sure that he would commandeer the conversation and ask more questions about me and what's going on in the world today. And and uh, I think he's just the coolest guy. Um, I was that's fortunate cool. enough to spend time with his, his granddaughter. Um, hmm. Tahiti, and, and that's actually a chapter in the book. Um, yeah. She's sort of the custodian of his estate and his, his legacy. And w- gosh, where would I go? Um, you know what? I'd probably take him to the Brando, which is a resort um, <laughs> in, in Tahiti. It's uh, on an Island, Tetiaroa, that's just next to Tahiti. And um the Brando is named after Mar- Marlon Brando, um, who used <laughs> to own own the island before there was a hotel on it. And he bought the island because when he was shooting *Mutiny on the Bounty* of the film, he used to hang out with the Hall family, and he was so jealous that they had a private island that he bought one for himself. <laughs> um, and I think it'd be cool <laughs> to kind of all meet there and see what it all what it's all become today. You know, a hundred years later.
0: That's pretty fantastic. So you have been to the Brando? I have. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what would you what would you, what do you think you you would order?
1: Uh, well, they're doing like they're doing like Michelin starred cuisine, which is really funny. Just juxtaposition, to be honest. <laughs> uh, all but remote, I you know, remote island. In the,
0: Amazing. In the, in the, in the so it'd probably be something pretty fantastic.
1: Yeah, it'd be like a steak free.
0: Yes. Um, well, that's cool, and that's a really cool story about Brando's Island. I didn't know that. But another cool, cool uh, piece there. Yeah, of course I'm going to point at all the things. Um, your home base there, brandonpresser.com. All the socials, the book, again, is The Far Land, 200 Years of Murder, Mania, and Mutiny in the South Pacific. I thought uh, this one, let's see if I can... Meticulously Researched, Armchair Adventurers, will appreciate the author's sharp and sympathetic eye showing us the mechanics of a truly remote civilization. Presser's detailed account provides a sense of authority to a story too bizarre to be anything but true. So, you know, we, we, we say truth is, is often stranger than fiction. In this case, it's much stranger. Um, but congrats on the work. It is uh, really, really a compelling and very, very cool, nonfiction, almost, you know, like a, a, a page turning mystery. Did I lose you?
1: <laughs> no, I was like, I was, I was enjoying listening to all that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, cool. Well, no, seriously, congrats uh, on this, uh, for your birthday party for, for the far land. What is the next project? Do you have anything picked out or you just kind of focusing on being in the moment and finding joy here?
1: Um, I mean today is all about celebration but you know I do have a couple ideas in the back of my mind but I I am really fond of this dual timeline uh bringing travelog into incredible true stories from our past and I'm hoping to unlock yeah um you know a similar type thing in the future
0: I Love it I love it Um it is truly unique and uh yeah just your advice to fellow scribes on just how to keep going how to persevere how to um find joy daily
1: (laughs) i think i think so much of it is unglamorous so much of it is just laying the bricks and um you know to have that big idea is so wonderful to feel inspired but so much of it is that unglamorous sitting in front of a computer and if you can make peace with that you'll go really far
0: yeah i love that the unglamorous bricklaying and making peace with the uh, the tedium of, of it all. But uh, congrats, man. Um, yeah, where are you off to next? Are you? I know you're doing promotion stuff. You have any uh, any events planned?
1: Um, I have some travel um, for a few magazines uh, coming back. Uh, I have about three trips on the calendar. Uh, one one to Mexico. One to Madeira, a Portuguese island. Mm. Uh, off the coast of Africa, and then uh, back to Tahiti uh, for some magazine work.
0: You're an island-hopping fool.
1: Apparently, I just realized that.
0: (laughs) Brandon, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. And uh, we appreciate your time, your wisdom, and definitely uh, stop back by and wrap with us again.
1: Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this file and if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to WriterFiles.fm for more. That's WriterFiles.fm.
1: I hope I wasn't too like Debbie Downer about um, about about book release day. I just no,
0: that's cool. I mean, you know, like this is real life stuff. Like there is something, there must be something melancholic about it because, in truth, it's like yeah, it's like. Yeah. now what
1: (laughs) yeah seriously and i think like i just had so many people had told me all my friends who had written books before they're like enjoy the process like if you don't enjoy the process why are you doing this and i think i got too focused on that and now i'm like (laughs) but the process is over i don't know what to do
0: (laughs) i love that